0: News of the Times. Murderous Mondays. Infamous Elizabeth Jeffreys. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, we go back in time to 1752 and the very famous case of Elizabeth Jeffreys. Living with her uncle, threats are made to Elizabeth of her need to conform and behave in order to continue to stay in the good graces of her uncle and to continue to be the primary heir to his fortune. But there are additional aspects to the case, with death confessions being made claiming abuse, incest, control and ghosting. In today's episode of Murderous Mondays, we explore the famous Elizabeth Jeffries case, the background, the crime, and the confessions. We hope you enjoy the show. Background. There are some murder cases that are still remembered hundreds of years later. Elizabeth Jeffries is just such a case. Interestingly, the murder of her uncle happened around the same time as the famous Mary Blandy case, which we covered in episode 139 in our Murderous Mondays playlist in 1752. Unlike Mary's case of did she or didn't she, the Elizabeth Jeffreys case is more straightforward in terms of the killing of her uncle. Where questions arise is the motive for the murder. Was this strictly for financial reasons? Was there an element of retribution for past abuse? Was this more complicated and a retribution of being ignored or replaced? Eighteenth-century England did not tend to think in these shades of grey. The murder case was in all the papers and still to this day is referred to in Great Britain. We start our review with the Newgate Calendar. From the Newgate Calendar, Elizabeth Jeffreys and John Swan executed for murder. The unfortunate Mr. Jeffreys had been a butcher in London and has acquired such an ample fortune as to enable him to retire to Walthamstow. The only thing he wanted to complete his happiness was a child to be the companion of his age, a partaker of his fortune while living, and an inheritor of it after his death. Accordingly, he took his brother's daughter Elizabeth Jeffreys, treated her like a parent should, and left her by will almost his entire estate. He frequently mentioned this as an Inducement for her to be dutiful, but when she became negligent in her behaviour, he declared his intention to alter his will if she did not alter her conduct. An extract from Mr. Jeffrey's will. Item one I give, devise, and bequeath unto my niece Elizabeth Jeffreys all that my Tenement being in Bucklesbury, held by lease, to hold to her, her executors, and assign for the remainder of the terms of years to come. I also give and bequeath unto my said niece, Elizabeth Jeffreys, the sum of one thousand pounds of lawful money of Great Britain, which is worth approximately two hundred and eighty thousand pounds today. I also give and bequeath unto my said niece Elizabeth Jeffreys all my household goods, implements of household, linen, woollen, plate, and china, of what kind or nature for ever that I shall be possessed of at the time of my death, and also my diamond ring and my wife's gold watch. This she determined to prevent by executing his death. There is an implication within the Newgate calendar and the newspaper's reports of an intimacy between Elizabeth and John Swan, the gardener, but this is never formally laid out in the evidence. What is clear between the news reports and the Newgate calendar is that both Elizabeth and John approach others to help with the crime before setting on the hapless Matthew. Who had only recently been employed by Mr. Jeffreys due to his complete lack of prospects. Matthew had been found on the road going from town to town to try to get work. Mr. Jeffreys came upon him in despair from an unsuccessful attempt and offered him a job, helping the gardener John Swan, but with the provision that his payment would be room and board only. Matthew would not receive any actual money for his work. John Swan, to whom Mr. Jeffreys had been a very kind master till he was offended at his familiarity with his niece, medicated this villainy in conjunction with Miss Jeffreys and they found a simple fellow, one Matthews, that Mr. Jeffreys had employed, whom they thought a proper person to accomplish their villainy. This man, for a time, rejected their proposals, till, at last, promises of considerable reward staggered him, but did not produce the desired effect. For when the execution was to be performed, the favours he had received from his master obliged him to refuse it and no threats or temptations, whatever, could tempt him to alter his resolution. Matthew had initially agreed to do the deed of killing Mr. Jeffreys, and was hidden on the steps into the cellar. He had been given money to go and purchase a brace of pistols which he had purchased and brought with him. When Elizabeth came down and told him it was time, Matthew balked and stated he couldn't do it. There is much consternation, and Matthew is made to swear on a Bible that he will not tell on the pair unless it is to protect his own life. Elizabeth is determined to go through with the murder of her uncle and convinces John to do the deed. Both Elizabeth and John take items from the house, place them in a sack and hide them. The story is to be told that the house has been robbed and her uncle has been shot in the process of the robbery. Elizabeth runs upstairs, hears the pistols go off and calls out for help from her upstairs window. Dreadful outcry being heard at Waltonstow about two o'clock in the morning of the 3rd of July, 1751. Mr. Buckle, a near neighbour of Mr. Jeffreys, awakened his wife, who said, It is Miss Jeffreys in her shift, without shoe or stocking, at a neighbour's door. Mr. Buckle, going to her, asked her the reason for her appearance in that manner, to which she replied, Oh. They have killed him. They have killed him, I fear. On his desiring her to cover herself, she said, Don't mind me. See after my uncle. Mr. Buckle going to the house, the door was opened by Swan, and the deceased was found lying on his right side, having three wounds on the left side of his head. The visitor, taking Mr. Jeffreys by the hand, said, "'My name is Edward Buckle. If you cannot speak to me, signify to me,' on which Jeffreys squeezed him by the hand with as much force as he could. Some hours after this, Miss Jeffreys desired Mr. Buckle to send information through the country of the murderer of her uncle, with an account of such effects as he had been stolen, which a Mrs. Martin said were a silver tankard, a silver cup, and fifteen pewter plates. Mr. Buckle said, "'If I could find Matthews, I would take him up.' "'No,' said Miss Jeffreys, "'don't meddle with him, for you will bring me into trouble, and yourself too in so doing.' The story of Matthews. Matthews, however, was taken into custody from his apprehension and other circumstances. The following acts came to light. Matthews, having travelled from Yorkshire in search of work, was accidentally met on Epping Forest by Mr. Jeffreys, who, seeing him in distress, took him home to work as an assistant to Swan in the Garden the agreement being that he should have his food only as gratuity, but no wages. After he had been four days in his service, Miss Jeffreys sent him upstairs to wipe a chest of drawers and some chairs, but presently following him, "'What will you do if a person would give you a hundred pounds?' He said, "'Anything in an honest way,' on which she had him go to Swan and he would tell him. Swan being in the garden, Matthews went to him and told him the contents of the message, on which Swan smiled, took him to an outhouse and told him if he would knock the old miser, his master, on the head, he would give him one hundred pounds. Two days afterwards, Swan gave him half a guinea to buy a brace of pistols to murder their master. Matthews, being possessed of this cash, went to the green man at Low Leyton, where he spent all his money. Swan took Matthews to Mr. Gall's, the green man and bell, in Whitechapel, where they drank freely till night. Swan "'being intoxicated, swore he would fight the best man in the house for a guinea. "'He likewise pulled off his great coat and threw it on the fire. "'But the landlord, taking it off and finding it very heavy, "'searched the pockets in which he found a brace of pistols. "'The circumstance giving rise to an unfavourable suspicion, "'both the two men were lodged in the roundhouse for the night.' Being carried before Sir Samuel Gower the next day, he committed them to Clerkenwell Bridewell as disorderly persons. When Matthews arrived at the Jeffreys, he found the garden door on the latch, and, going into the pantry, he hid himself behind a tub till about eleven o'clock, when Swan brought him some cold, boiled beef. At about twelve, Miss Jeffreys and Swan came to him, when the latter said, Now, it is time to knock the old miser, my master, on the head. Matthews relented and said, I cannot find it in my heart to do it, to which Miss Jeffreys replied, You may be damned for a villain for not performing your promise. Swan who was provided with pistols, likewise damned Matthews, and said he had a mind to blow his brains out for the refusal. Swan then produced a book and insisted that Matthews should swear that he would not discover what had passed. Soon after, Matthews heard the report of a pistol. When getting out of the house by the back way, he crossed the ferry, hence He proceeded to Enfield Chase. It hasn't been mentioned that Miss Jeffries was found in her shift after the commission of the murder. We have now to add that she screamed out, For God's sake, help! Fire! Thieves! With the general call for help, neighbours came to the house to offer support, but it all seemed very unusual to them. There does not seem to be any sign of a break-in. Equally, the dew on the ground around the house has not been disturbed. There are real suspicions already that the scene has been staged. Initial Investigation Mr. Diaper and Mr. Clark entered the house and searched diligently, but could find no traces of any person having quitted the house. There was dew on the grass which did not appear to be disturbed. Swan went to fetch Mr. Forbes, a surgeon at Woodford, who observed congealed blood in the room and examined the wounds which on the trial he declares to have been mortal. Swan appeared much frightened at the time and said he wished that he had died with his master, for he would have lost his own life to save him. As there appeared no marks of any person having been in the house, but those belonging to the family, violent suspicions began to arise. Mr. Jeffreys died in great agonies at eight o'clock the following evening. After the death, Swan was drunk almost the whole day afterwards, and as to the niece Though it was her duty to have all the comfort necessary for her uncle, she was more careful to secure the box of writings wherein the will was deposited, etc. Miss Jeffreys, being taken into custody on suspicion, was examined by two magistrates, to whom she confessed that she heard the report of a pistol and found her uncle murdered. No evidence arising to incriminate her, she proved her uncle's will at doctor's commons and took possession of his estate. But the coroner's inquest, having sat on the body and some circumstances of suspicion arising, she and Swan were committed to prison and bills of indictment being found against them. They were put to the bar and their counsel moved for an immediate trial. This was opposed by the counsel of the prosecution on account of the absence of Matthews, who, it was presumed, would become material evidence. The counsel on all sides used all the arguments in their power, but the trial was deferred to the following assizes. Matthews was found being taken into custody on a warrant He was admitted on evidence for the Crown, and the trial of Swan and Jeffreys came on at Chelmsford on the 11th of March, 1752, before Judge Wright. The trial was a huge public affair. Matthews was the principal witness, no doubt petrified that he himself would be found guilty with his prior knowledge of the murder plot. He said that Swan remained nonchalant throughout, but Elizabeth fainted several times and had fits. The Trial The prosecution deposed. Deprived of her uncle's valuable estate, the woman and an accomplice shot him dead after paying another man to commit the crime. The case of these offenders is one of the greatest atrocities. Elizabeth Jeffreys was the niece of a gentleman of respectability residing at Walthamstow, who, having acquired an ample fortune and having no children, adopted his brother's daughter and made a will in her favour, bequeathing her nearly his whole estate. The girl, however, returned to her uncle's kindness with ingratitude, and having heard him declare that he would alter his will on account of her bad behaviour, she determined to prevent his carrying his design to her detriment into execution by murdering him. She soon discovered her inability to complete this project single-handed, and she gained the assistance of her accomplice in the crime, John Swan who was in the employment of her uncle, and with whom there is a good reason to believe she was on terms of intimacy. They endeavoured to suborn a simple fellow named Matthews to assist them, but although the promise of a large reward at first staggered him, his terrors eventually steeled him against the temptations held out to him. A number of witnesses appeared to set forth the state wherein they found things at the time of the alarm in the neighbourhood and their evidence in general tended to prove that instead of the agony and distress that might be supposed everyone would express on so melancholy an occasion, there was less sorrow shown on this occasion than might be reasonably expected. When Elizabeth Jeffreys came to the bar, she was indulged the liberty of a chair to sit on, and during the whole time she sat very sullen and seemed so little affected until the jury brought in their verdict, and then she began to weep. Swan appeared from the beginning to the end of his trial wholly unconcerned, and seemed perfectly undaunted, without the least sign of remorse. The cause that instigated them to commit the murder is generally imputed to an apprehension that the niece had entertained of her uncle's intention to alter the will, which she well knew was greatly in her favour, on account of some quarrel that had happened between them. Miss Jeffreys fainted repeatedly during the trial, and was once in fits for the space of half an hour. The evidence of Matthews was exceedingly clear and many corroborative circumstances arising. The jury found the culprits guilty and they received sentence of death. After conviction, Elizabeth Jeffries made a full confession of her guilt. Elizabeth's confession came in two parts. The first was an admission of her own culpability. The second one seemed to shift her motive away from the financial aspects and more towards a possible revenge against her uncle. The Confession of Elizabeth Jeffries Concerning the Murder of Her Uncle Joseph Jeffries I, Elizabeth Jeffries, do freely and voluntarily confess that I first enticed and persuaded John Swan, and Thomas Matthews, to undertake and perpetrate the murder of my deceased uncle, which they both consented to do at the first opportunity. That, on the third day of July, 1751, myself and John Swan, Matthews, to my knowledge not being in the house, agreed to kill my said Uncle, and accordingly, after the maid was gone to bed, I went into John Swan's room and called him, and we went down together into the kitchen. And, having assisted Swan in putting some pewter and other things into a sack, I said I could do no more. And then I went up to my room, and afterwards Swan came up, as I believe, and went into my uncle's room and shot him which, once done, he came to my door and rapped upon it. Accordingly, I I went out in my shift, and John Swan opened the street door and let me out. That done, I alarmed the neighbourhood, and I do solemnly declare that that I do not know of any person was concerned in the murder of my deceased uncle but myself and John Swan, for that Matthews did not come to my uncle's house the day before or night in which the murder was committed. Miss Jeffreys has further confessed that her uncle took her from her father when she was five years old, and that when she was sixteen her said uncle debauched her. Lived in a continual state of incest with him having had two miscarriages by him, till about a year before his death, when he slighted her in favour of another woman. His repeated neglect of her and his threatening to alter his will, which she knew had been made entirely in her favour, were the motives that had induced her to perpetrate the murder for which she is sentenced to die. Swan, for some time, expressed great resentment on Miss Jeffreys' confession, but when he learned that he was to be hung in chains, he began to relent, and seemed at length to behold his crime in its true light of enormity. The Execution. On the day of the execution, they left the prison at four in the morning, Miss Jeffreys being placed in a cart, and Swan on a sledge. The unhappy woman had frequent fits during the journey, but before she came to the place of execution, her spirits became more composed. Swan appeared to be a real penitent and joined with the utmost earnestness in the prayers of the clergyman who attended them. Miss Jeffreys told the clergyman that she had been seduced by her uncle while his wife was living and that he had given her medicines to procure abortions at two different times but for the truth of this we have no evidence but her own declaration she fainted away just before she was tied up nor had she recovered when the cart drew away They were executed near the six-mile stone on Epping Forest on the 28th of March, 1752, and the body of Miss Jeffreys, having been delivered to her friends for interment, the gibbet was removed to another part of the forest where Swan was hung in chains. This murder, so unprovoked in its nature, so dreadful in its example, is sufficient to make one shudder with horror. A niece to murder her uncle, a servant his master, to whom both of them were under obligation. The one for protection, the other for employment, has something in it dreadfully abhorrent to the feelings of humanity. And thus ended the life of Elizabeth Jeffreys at the young age of twenty-seven. That concludes this episode of Murderous Mondays, the infamous Elizabeth Jeffreys. We very much hope you enjoyed the show.